morning, everybody. You guys will not regret coming to church this morning. <laughs> Never do. <laughs> uh, well, some of you might, I guess. I don't know. That's, up, that's between you and the Lord, but I, uh, there's good things in store. I, uh, I will not even tell you what I already know. But I want to ask you, today we're going to get back to as far as uh, the sermon goes. We are going to have a uh, talk today about a response to Jesus. And specifically in regards to the Christmas story, which is the beginning of the best story ever told. Would you agree? Amen. So I'm going to put a list of characters on the screen. And when you look at that list, they should look familiar to you if you've been a believer for some time. And this is one of the things in the, in the church, if you've been a believer for a long time, you've probably heard the Christmas story a few times, right? Raise your hand if this is a little bit how you feel, okay? I'm under-exaggerating that a little bit, okay? Now, keep your hands up. Would one of the people with their hands up be interested in telling us just in a couple sentences, I'll give you about four sentences or maybe five, to tell a story with all those names included in it, a true story, Keep your hand up if you're interested, because you're going to have to grab a mic so everybody can hear. Anybody interested in telling us the Christmas story in like five sentences, including those names? Seriously? This is going to be a long sermon. Oh, somebody's uh, got a hand and I didn't see it. Nice. Nice. Uh, no, you have as long as you want, but only five sentences. Oh, okay. So, uh, Zechariah is from the Old Testament, uh, and he was predicting it, I guess. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. Joseph was the father, I guess. The shepherds saw the angels. And Simeon, Simeon, he was in the temple waiting for uh, for the Messiah and Anna also was waiting there for the Messiah and the wise men came to worship Jesus and King Herod wanted to kill him there you go yeah pretty good and Zechariah was also in the New Testament he was uh, John the Baptist's dad right yeah Tina knew that so that's that's where that's the list she's even more right than everybody else Oops, sorry. That's uh, because he's in, uh, that name comes up more than once in, in the Bible. So I'm going to say that you guys kind of know the Christmas story. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through that list this morning. And we're going to look at how each one of these characters responded to the news of Jesus. And I'm wording that kind of carefully because they all made a response before they met him. We're going to look at their response prior to encountering Jesus. Because each one of these people, almost all of those people, encountered Jesus. And the ones that did, and they all had a chance to respond. And then the ones that encountered Jesus respond again after that encounter. Let's look at this a little bit, okay? Zechariah... He is a priest. 
His wife's name was Elizabeth, right? And who was their son that we know about? John the Baptist. Luke 1, 5-7, a priest named Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Okay, so if I just stop there, if these people were in Pansy Chapel, who might they be? What's that? An elder? Yeah, probably. Right? Serving as a priest? Or, the, well, they're, I was going to say it could be me, but they're old. So, <laughs> I'm not going any farther with that one. But they were childless. They were childless. And it even says why they were childless. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. We know from Scripture that they have been asking God in prayer for kids because one day when they're serving, when Zechariah is serving in the temple, an angel appears to him and says, <laughs> in Luke 1 verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your, what's the word? Your prayer has been heard. So obviously, Zechariah has been praying about having kids. The angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Then the angel goes on and speaks about six different, six, whatever, six different prophetic things about their baby-to-be. Number one, it's going to be a boy, and so you should name him John. Number two, he's going to be a joy and a delight to you. Number three, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord and will cause many people to rejoice. Number four, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Number five, he's going to bring many Israelite people back to the Lord. Number six, he's going to have the spirit and power of Elijah, which is going to enable him to bring back disobedient people to meet and be ready to meet Jesus. Six prophetic words that were spoken over their Zechariah's son. Most of those, at least four of them, if not all of them, but for sure four of them, are very physical, humanly logical possibilities. Okay, you could argue that the whole, the whole business about being filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe that was, let's just say that's something that only God can do. The other things about her, Elizabeth, having a baby, that is simply a human thing. And this angel is saying it's going to happen. Zechariah didn't believe the angel. And it wasn't even on the spiritual or supernatural things that he didn't believe the angel on. He didn't believe the angel that his wife was going to have a baby. Luke 1, 18-20. Zechariah asked the angel... How can I be sure of this? I am an old man. You guys say the yellow. Say it with enthusiasm, okay? I am an old man, and my is well along in years. So he's pointing out Zechariah, when he is not questioning God, he doesn't even worry. He doesn't even call into question that this kid's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit or that have the, uh, the spirit of Elijah on him. He just says, This is impossible. How is this going to This is impossible. We're old. 
<laughs> and he actually is that skeptical. In verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you my words, which will come true at their appointed time. If you would take one word to describe Zechariah, what would it be? Speechless. That's a good one. God made him speechless. And I heard someone else say, skeptical? It's exactly the word that I would have picked. He was a skeptic. I just want you to think about that for a second. Was he a good person? Was he working in the church? Was he pretty good at working in the church? Blamelessly, righteous, that's who he was, and he's a skeptic. Then we come to Mary. Gabriel, the same angel that talked to Zechariah, comes to Mary. Luke one thirty one says, You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. The angel speaks prophetic words to Mary as well and says, you are going to have a boy. You ought to name him Jesus. Number two, he will be called the Son of the Most High. In other words, God. Okay? Zechariah didn't believe that his wife was going to have a baby, but they were married. Okay? Mary has never been with a man. Now the angel is telling her, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be God. Number three, he's going to reign over the kingdom of Israel forever. Is that humanly possible? That doesn't even make sense. Except it's somehow God. And when she asks the question, how is this going to happen because I'm a virgin, the angel tells her, you will become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are not humanly logical things. Would you agree? But Mary's response is different than Zechariah's. In Luke 1.38, this is what she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary's response was different than Zechariah's. And there's further evidence of her response, and I'm purposely leaving the word out. But in Luke 1.45, it says, Blessed is she who has that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What is one word that you could use to describe Mary's response to Jesus, or the news of Jesus? That's exactly what I would have said. Belief, or believe. She believed, right? And then there's Joseph. Joseph is about to divorce his wife, or his fiancée, I should say, because she's pregnant. That's a problem. It wasn't him, right? But he's a classy and respectable man. He had in mind to divorce her, what's the word? Quietly. An angel appears to him, too, and speaks prophetic words about this baby. The angel says that his fiancée, Mary, is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The angel says that she is going to have a son. 
and they ought to name him the Lord saves. In other words, Jesus, Yahweh saves. His name should be Jesus because he's going to be the savior of the people. In other words, he's going to be Emmanuel, God with you. The angel tells Joseph, your son is going to be God. Okay. <laughs> then look at Joseph's response. When Joseph woke up, he... Okay, you guys are losing your touch. When Joseph woke up, he what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I want you to think, without saying it out loud, I want you to think about a word that would describe someone who does what they're told. He just did it. Okay? And we'll keep on reading. Matthew 2, 13 and 14. Now, we're picking up a story later. This is after the wise men. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he took the child and his mother during the night for Egypt. Okay, now don't say it out loud, but think about what do you call somebody who, when he's told to do something, just gets up and does it? Just, yeah, just think about it. <laughs> just think about it. We're going to keep reading here. Matthew two nineteen to 21. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother... To the land of Israel. What is one word? I just don't say it. Just think about it. We're going to say it on the count of three. One word that would describe Joseph's response to this angel. One, two, three. Obedient. Nice work. That's exactly what I was thinking. Obedient. Then let's talk about the shepherds. An angel appears to them too and speaks prophetically to them. And the angel tells them five things. The angel says, today, or well, that's, I guess, the, that's the third thing. The angel says, a savior has been born. Like God has been born as a human. Secondly, it's a boy. Thirdly, it happened today. Fourthly, it's in Bethlehem. Fifth, is that here's the sign. You're going to find him as a baby wrapped in cloths, laying in a manger. Okay? So they get five prophetic words spoken to them by the angel. Luke 2.15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, to Bethlehem, this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So I want to read some more verses about the shepherds, but before I even do that, what would one word be that would describe that? What would be required for the shepherds to be able to say those yellow words? Faith would be a good one. Curiosity. I think they share a similarity to Mary. They would have to believe. That's what I think. I'll keep on reading. When they had seen him, this is Luke 2, 17 and 20. When they had seen him, they, concerning what they had been told about this child, the shepherds returned, 
and for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So this stuff that they're doing here is after they encounter Jesus. But before they encounter Jesus, in my mind, they had to believe, or at the very least, you would have to argue that they had to believe enough that they could leave their flocks, leave their friends out in the field there, and go and find out this thing that has been told to them. There has to be an element of belief there. What about Simeon? Luke 2, 25 to 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I want to point something out. What's the underlying word there? There was a revelation given to him by who? The Holy Spirit. This is something that the Holy Spirit does. You with me? He did to Simeon, and it's pretty clear. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Then, read the yellow words. He went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in uh, the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. So before Simeon gets, what's his response? His response isn't to an angel. His response is to the Holy Spirit. But in response to the Holy Spirit, before he picks up Jesus in his arms, what does he do? He goes. He went. And so I'm just going to leave it like that. Simeon, moved by the Spirit, went. That was before, his, that was before he ever encountered Jesus in person, right? What about Anna? Anna had been a widow for most of her life. She had been married for a couple of years, I think seven or eight, and then was a widow for the rest of her life, and now she's 84 years old, and it says this about Anna. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the day uh, to the redemption of Jerusalem. What is a word that you would use to describe Anna's life prior to that moment when she walked up to meet Mary and Joseph and Jesus? Dedicated? And I'm not sure there was more words, but that's exactly the word I was thinking of. She dedicated her life. That was before she ever encountered Jesus. It also ended up being that because she was in that place, she was able to have knowledge about Jesus and actually declare and proclaim him. Right? Let's look at the wise men. The Magi. The Magi in Matthew 2, uh, 2 verse 2 are quoted as saying this. We saw his star when it rose and have come to... They were going to come to worship him. Did they come to worship Mary? Did they come to worship Mary? They came to worship him. They came to worship Jesus. That's important. It's really clear in Scripture. Let's keep on reading. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother, uh, with his mother Mary, 
and bowed down and him, right? Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What did the, 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 did the wise men do prior to encountering Jesus? They got gifts which would have cost them money. What else did they do? They traveled, which would have cost them time and money, right? So the wise men spent time, they spent money, and they actually set out with the intention to worship. Would you agree with that? This is all before they ever encountered Jesus. I think that's really significant because when they come to find Jesus, what's, all left, what's left for them to do? Simply worship and present the gifts that they've already bought in advance before they ever encountered him. So if we look at the summary of this list, most of those characters are exemplary characters to follow. If we start with Mary and go down to the wise men, I want to point something out. I want you to see the faith of those characters. Each one of those characters, from Mary to the wise men, stepped out in belief or obedience before they encountered Jesus. Mary believed the angel before she was pregnant. Make sense? Some of these people are even responding just to words that the angel has spoken to them or that the Holy Spirit has spoken to them. Okay? And we know that obedience is the action of belief, right? And so it makes sense that they do this. So Mary believed before she was pregnant. She believed the angel. Joseph was obedient before he fully understood what all the ramifications of his actions were. Would you agree with that? I don't think Joseph could have understood could have understood way down the road what's all going on here. But when the angel said, go, he went. He was obedient. And he did that before he fully understood. The shepherds believed before they ever met Jesus. They believed enough to leave their shepherds and to go. You with me? After they found Jesus, that allowed them to testify and proclaim and declare his name and praise and worship him. Simeon was moved by the Spirit and went to the temple before he ever met Jesus. Does that make sense? He did not wait until he had some kind of an amazing experience with Jesus and then decided, now I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Anna dedicated her entire life to fasting and prayer and spending time in God's presence, the best that she knew, which was in the temple, before she ever met Jesus. The wise men, they spent money, they spent time, they set out to worship before they ever encountered him. I think it's important to understand what one of Satan's lies is. One of Satan's lies is that you should wait for an experience before you believe Jesus. One of Satan's lies is that you should wait for something amazing to happen before you believe that the Holy Spirit is real or that he speaks or heals. Satan loves to plant that lie into our head that we tend to think that we should 
wait for God to do something amazing. And we kind of have this attitude that, God, if you do something amazing today, I'm going to praise your name. Mary to the wise men did not do that. They actually set out in faith prior. And in faith, they said, this is what we're doing in response to, Jesus, in response to the words about Jesus. And then they encountered Jesus, and that made it easy to worship. Then the worship flowed, right? That changed things. Who's left in the story that we haven't talked about yet? King Herod. Matthew 2, 1 to 3. Let's read about King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was was disturbed. Why was King Herod disturbed? He wanted to be the only king. I would agree with that answer. Right? King Herod was disturbed because he was king. And when he heard that they're coming to worship Jesus, also a king, he was disturbed because they could not be king at the same time. What King Herod didn't realize is that Jesus actually wasn't too concerned about just Judea or uh, the area where King Herod was a king. Jesus came to be a much larger king than that, and it was in a spiritual sense that he is the king, not in a physical sense, but at the same time, King Herod was correct because Jesus and Herod can't be king at the same time. Because if King Herod was to take orders from Jesus, King Herod would actually no longer be king. He would not be at the top of the heap. You with me? Is that the same for you and me? You and Jesus cannot be king at the same time. Does that disturb you? Because that's a little bit hard to swallow. You cannot be the king of your life in full control of your life if Jesus is in full control of your life. They can't happen at the same time. If you are stubborn and insist that you are the king in your life, Jesus cannot be. And if that is how you act, you will never see and experience the presence of Jesus. King Herod didn't. Did King Herod have opportunity to see Jesus? Did King Herod have opportunity to see Jesus? The wise men came to him and said, we came to find Jesus. King Herod would have had easy opportunity to meet Jesus. But he didn't. Here's the scary thing. We know about King Herod's story. He then went and tried to kill Jesus by killing all the boys two years old and younger. Matthew 2, 19 to 20, after King Herod... Matthew 2, 19 to 20, after Herod, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up 
Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are... Jesus could only come back to Israel after King Herod was dead. Do you realize that the people in Israel could not experience the presence of Jesus until King Herod was dead? Do you see Jesus as competition in your life? That's what King Herod saw. He saw Jesus as competition and was disturbed. Is that how you see Jesus? Do you resist submitting to him and surrendering to him because it makes you uncomfortable? I even wonder, are there people standing behind you and people that are under your authority that are missing out on the presence of Jesus because of your stubbornness and your resistance to surrendering? Let's go back to that list for a second and look at Zechariah. This is the amazing, one of the most amazing parts in this story. This is what I love. Zechariah, he served in the church, he worked in the church, he was faithful, and his wife, and he was a skeptic. And God punished him because of his skepticism and made him speechless. But then God gives him a second chance. Amen? <laughs> and, and Zechariah shows that he actually changed his way, he repented of his ways, and he demonstrated that by naming his son John. All the people in his community said, why would you name him John? There's nobody in your family by that name. And he says, give me that tablet. He took out a little whiteboard and a dry erase marker, and he wrote on there, his name's going to be John. Right? And he, by that, he, I'm, I'm kidding about the whiteboard, okay? <laughs> by that, he demonstrated that he believed the angel. Amen? And you know what was the result? If you look that up in Scripture, you know what is going to happen after that? He speaks and prophesies by the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit as a result of coming out of his skepticism and demonstrating his belief. Isn't that amazing? That is incredible. God gave him a second chance. I love that about God. He's giving you a second chance today just by being here right now. Do you know that? So here's what we're going to do. All the people in this list, from Mary to the wise men, acted out in great faith. Zechariah even did too, after he turned and repented. He also acted in faith by saying his name is John. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to boldly ask if there is someone here who would like to make a decision which will, by hands down, be the best thing that you do this Christmas, and make a decision and say, t starting today, right now, I want to begin following this Jesus. And I want to let go of my skepticism. I want to let go of my unbelief. And I want to surrender to the King of Kings, who is Jesus. And I want Him to be my Savior and my Lord. If that is what you would like to do, I'm going to ask you to take this a step of faith. These people all took a step of faith before they encountered Jesus. If you are interested in encountering Jesus 
in, a, in about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your chairs and come to the front here and pray. That action of getting up and coming to the front in front of people that love you and care for you, the little bit of faith that it takes to do that is going to demonstrate to the Lord that you actually have faith to believe in Him like these people did. And I want to say that there's more than one reason for somebody to come to the front. One is going to be this. If you have never before in your life confessed and admitted to Jesus that you're a sinner and you recognize that He is Lord and you believe that He was born for you and died for you and loves you and you would like to invite Him as your Lord and Savior, then that's one of the things that we're going to do right here in the front. The second thing we're going to do is if you have a long time ago already been like Zechariah and been in the church faithfully serving and you would like to, like Zechariah, be one of the people that says, give me that slate. I want to clean it off because before Jesus I want to rededicate my life. I want to confess any skepticism that there's been in my life and I would like to come and become clean before Jesus. That's the second thing we'll do here in the front. The third thing is this. If there's somebody here who would simply like to encounter Jesus. When people encounter Jesus, amazing things happen. All that it took is his presence for people to be healed in a whole bunch of different ways, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. If that is something that you desire, I'm also going to ask that you get up out of your chair and come to the front. And if the front gets full, then we'll just spill into the aisles. Okay? So why don't you guys join me? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up first because that way they have room to get walk up the aisle. <laughs> and then I'm going to just close my eyes and I'm going to start praying. And I'm going to start, when I start praying, I'm going to pray a prayer of confession and repentance as though I'm accepting Jesus for the very first time in my life. And if that's what you are doing today, please... Tell somebody so that we can walk with you, okay? And if you want to rededicate your life, um, that's the second prayer I'm, going to, prayer I'm going to pray. And if you want to simply encounter Jesus and experience his presence. Corny said before that the healer is in the house. This is the house of the healer. And so we're just going to, in faith invite you to come forward, and I would like to pray together with anybody who is uh, coming forward for that reason. So I'm going to invite you guys. Everybody can close your, close your eyes. I'm going to ask everybody here to stand. And I'm going to ask, especially for this first prayer, when I pray a prayer of confession and repentance, for those people who are only praying it for the first time, I'm going to ask everybody in the room to pray it out loud. Just follow my words. Repeat my words uh, after I say them. And repeat them after me so that nobody's praying this alone. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming as a baby to this earth. And for dying for me. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner 
I acknowledge that you are God. I acknowledge that you are God. And I accept your free gift. And I accept your free gift. Of salvation. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life. Amen. If there is anybody else here who wants to come forward and pray a prayer of, of rededication to the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come and take a step of faith and just come get on your knees before the Lord and pray your own words to Jesus. And if there's somebody here who wants to just come and encounter Jesus, then please come forward. I want, I think the step of faith to get out of your chairs and come forward is important. I even think of in James 5, it says that someone who is sick should call the elders of the church and have them pray over them. It's actually not the responsibility of the elders and the pastor in the church to chase after people. People need to have enough faith to come and be prayed for. So if you would like to encounter Jesus, please come to the front right now, even as the worship team uh, begins to sing. Jesus, we thank you so much for your message of truth, your message of grace. Jesus, I pray that you would just come and touch people as they come forward, Jesus, and just kneel in your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would begin a healing thing already. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and stir in our midst. We surrender on knees before you, asking for your healing, Lord.